Father God in heaven, you are good. You're beyond good. You are great. You are magnificent. You're an awesome God who reigns from heaven above. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord God, that you're on the throne of the universe. And your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is seated at your right hand. And y'all rule and reign supremely. Father, thank you as we enter into the Christmas season, Lord, amidst the crazy, that we keep you at the center and our hearts rest in peace, knowing you're the reason for the season, you're the reason we celebrate, you're the reason why we reflect on your virgin birth at Christmas time. And Father, now as we continue in uh, worship and we look at and looking at your word, Father, speak mightily through it to us, through your word, through our study, as we look at a conquering and enduring faith. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Feed us now. Our hearts are open. Feed us now from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Turn your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We are looking at verses 33 through 40 this morning. And uh, this is an awesome text of Scripture we're looking at this morning that I really believe is going to push you and I this morning. It's going to challenge us in our walk with Christ to stay the course, to endure, and to conquer. So hopefully you're there by now. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll read uh, the first five verses. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 33. Take a look in, in your scriptures. It says, Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were uh, tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains, in caves and in holes in the ground. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the subject that we're looking at this morning. And again, Father, we commit this time to you in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is A Conquering and Enduring Faith. That's what Pastor David is planning on conveying to you guys this morning how to have a conquering and enduring faith. Now, you may say, what do you mean, Pastor David, by having a conquering and enduring faith? Just to spread it, just to show you more clearly what I mean by these terms, a conquering faith is a victorious faith. It is a victorious faith that overcomes the world. And boy, do we need that. 
We need a faith that's victorious and a faith that overcomes the world, but also an enduring faith. An enduring faith is a faith, man, you're in it to the end. Your mind is made up. You're completely committed. There's no turning to the left. There's no turning to the right. There's no turning back. You are a man or a woman on mission, and you are focused in your relationship with the Lord, and that there's no compromise. You're in it to stay the course. Come hell or high water, whatever happens in this life, I am serving Jesus. I am living my life for him. That's what I mean by a conquering and enduring faith. And likely, in the text that we're looking at this morning, there are two groups in view. We, as we saw last week, in, in, in the, actually for the past 16 weeks, the first group in view that the text is talking about is the Old Testament saints that we've been studying for the past four months. But according to Dr. William Barclay, and, and I agree with him, that I th we think there's more in view here than just the Old Testament saints that's talked about in the scriptures. We also believe that this text is coming up, and it's based on verses 35 and 36, that he, he's also including Jews that were persecuted during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you look down at verse 35, it says, and others, he uses the, the, the word others, and others were tortured. And then if you look down at verse 36, it said, and others experienced mockings and scourgings. So there's these others, there's this other group that the author of Hebrews could be uh, referring to, and we believe that he's referring to the persecution that took place against the Christians during the inter intertestamental period. I'd like to read to you this morning in my opening here uh, from the Antiquity of the Jews. Uh, the Antiquity of the Jews 12-5-4, where it says these words. It says, and this was by uh, Josephus. He says, the greatest shedding of blood by Jews for their religion took place um, during the period... Um, 170 BC. It was called the Maccabean Revolt the, during the Maccabean period. In 170 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes was governor of Syria. He was a missionary for the Greek way of life. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, he was pushing the Greek culture. He was pushing Greek drama. He was pushing uh, the Greek way of thinking and Greek athletes. He was having the athletes uh, train naked, train nude. He wanted every facet of life to be um, centered around the Greek culture. He didn't want anything else, any other way of life, any other faith, any other philosophy to, to intervene. Um, it was a pagan way of life that he was instituting. In 168 BC, after returning from an attempt to overtake Egypt, Antiochus Epiphanes and his army decided to plunder Jerusalem. His army went in. The, the Romans had turned them back from Egypt. They were going down to take control of Egypt. The Romans turned them back and said, no, you can't do that. And he was, he was pretty ticked off is what it was. And so he took out his frustrations on the Jews. But in 168 B.C., after returning from an attempt to overtake Egypt, Antiochus Epiphanes and his army decided they would plunder Jerusalem. His army killed 80,000 Jews and took 10,000 Jews into captivity. He plundered and robbed the temple in Jerusalem. He offered a sacrifice of pig, of, uh, a sacrifice of pig, of the pig's flesh to, Ze to the uh, goddess Zeus in the Jewish temple. He turned the temple into a brothel, means a place of sexual immorality where prostitution took place. He stopped circumcision. 
he banned the possession of the scriptures, and he forced Jews to eat unclean meat. Jews were whipped, beaten, tortured, and crucified. Never in all history has there been a more sadistic and deliberate attempt to wipe out a people and their religion. Then you, you look over at um, the, the, the Maccabees writing. This comes from four Maccabees, uh, actually they call it Maccabees 4-5-7. If you go look that up, you'll read the story of Eliezer. He was a Jewish elderly priest. And during this revolt, he was ordered to eat pig's flesh. He refused. He refused, citing the prohibition in the Old Testament scriptures. And what happened? He was put to death. He was put to death for holding to his faith. Then there's the story of the seven brothers. The seven brothers, you can find the story of the seven brothers in Maccabees uh, 4-8-14. These brothers, they all refused to compromise their faith. And one by one, they all paid the ultimate price of their life. The brothers, uh, the first brother, there's, if you go back and you read it, it'll tell you the story of what happened to each brother. And some of these things I can't say because it's so gruesome and, and it's so grotesque. But the first brother, I did read the account of him and took some notes. But the first brother of these seven brothers from Maccabees 4-8-14, he was whipped, he was beaten, and then his body was strapped to a thing called a, a, a tapanium. A tapanium. And we'll talk about that more because that word is actually used in, in the Greek, Greek text of Hebrews that we're studying this morning. But a, type, a, a typanium would stretch, stretch the victim's body to the point of dislocation, dislocating the joints. It would fracture the arms and it would fracture the legs. Folks, these are real people. These are real people that we've talked about that I've, I've briefly given you an overview of that lived a long time ago. And they had a conquering and enduring faith. They faced temptation to compromise their convictions. But what did they do? They stood the ground. They stood their ground. Why? Because God had placed in their hearts a conquering and enduring faith. And the author this morning, through the inspired word of God, is, is, is seeking to inspire you and I this morning to have that same faith, that same solid biblical Christian faith. That's what we all endeavor to have. When you have a conquering and enduring faith, man, you can face just about anything in life because the anchor holds. The anchor holds when you put your trust in God and you put your trust in Christ. The anchor holds through the most difficult and challenging times. So y'all ready to dig in? Yeah. All right, let's dig into it. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 33. Uh, so the opening part, I'm, I'm a, just so you set it up in your mind, I'm going to talk about a conquering faith, and then we're going to move into an enduring faith because that's where the text goes. Verse 33 says, Who by faith conquered kingdoms? Who's he talking about? I believe here he's talking about the Old Testament saints. He's talking about Joshua, Moses, Gideon, Barak, the guys that we've, we were studying last week, that the Greek word for conquer there is katagonizomai. It means to struggle against, to have a fight against, but to overcome. To overcome and to, um, 
to subdue. Because that's what they did in the Old Testament. As they were marching forward to go into the promised land, God was giving them victory to conquer, subdue, but it did not come without a fight. It did not come without a fight. So conquering faith means this, that there is a real battle. There is a real battle. There was a real battle way back then. Well, my friend, there's a real battle today. There are strongholds, spiritual strongholds that surround us today from the ungodliness of this world that surround us. How do we bring down those spiritual strongholds that promote darkness, that enslave people, that keep people trapped in their sin? How do we bring those strongholds down? Well, it's not by violence. It's not by violence. We bring these strongholds down by fighting on our knees in prayer, by fighting on our knees in prayer and praying fervently and interceding on behalf of the dark strongholds that surround us. Another way we, we, um, we, we battle is we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel. You know, in other words, we let it thunder. We tell all men everywhere that it's appointed once a man to die, but then to face judgment. And God commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel, to put their trust in, the, in Christ, to put their trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they come in contact with the cross of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that stronghold is broken. That's the power of the gospel. It shatters darkness. It sheds us of the things that, 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 that keep us um, held in bondage. That's what the gospel does. We warn people. We challenge people. But we bring strongholds down by prayer and preaching the gospel. It's not just enough to tell someone, you need to stop doing this and live the right way. That's legalism. That's moralism. The right thing to do is to share the gospel and let the gospel and let the Holy Spirit change the person's heart, change the people's hearts. Let the gospel do its work. You know, I didn't stop, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to depart from my life of iniquity in and of myself. Before I became a Christian, I loved sin. And I was not a miserable soul. But it wasn't until I understood that because of my sin, I was under God's judgment. I was under God's wrath, and God had provided a way for the cross. And once I understood that cross, and, I, and once the Holy Spirit began to work on my heart, then by the power of the Spirit and faith working on the inside of me, I was able to leave that old life, and that stronghold fell. That stronghold left my life through, through being born again, through discipleship, through fellowship, through coming to church, through rubbing shoulders with my brothers in Christ. That was what produced growth in me. And that was what enabled me to be set free from sexual immorality and, and lust and all the temptations of the flesh. It was the cross. It was Christ himself. That's how we conquer. That's how they conquered. Verse 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms. That's how they conquered kingdoms. And you and I 
conquer kingdoms by being in prayer, preaching the gospel, and warning and challenging other people. Verse 33 continues, look at it. It says, they perform acts of righteousness. 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15 says, so David reigned over all of Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. So the first element of conquering faith is there's a real battle. The second element of conquering faith is this. We do what is right. We do what is right, especially in challenging times. In challenging times, when the world is, when people are compromising and people are living in darkness and, and people are being dishonest, it's very important, Christian, that you and I do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And it's very important that you and I make wise, spirit-led decisions when it comes to life and godliness and work and family and church. It's very important that we walk in righteousness, that we, you and I choose what is godly. You and I make decisions in life when we're, when we're faced with a decision um, we need to ask the question, what is the, what is the godly response? What is the biblical response? What, um, when you're facing a decision between two choices, which one will please the Lord? Then, I believe, we are operating under this principle of acting in righteousness and doing what is right. He continues in verse 33, obtain promises. Okay, right there. It says, it says in verse 33, they obtain promises. This is the cornerstone, the cornerstone of conquering faith. The cornerstone of conquering faith is that you trust and you believe in the promises of God. That you trust and you, that you, excuse me, I said that backwards. That you believe and you trust in that book you have in your hand. And that what is written is true. And what is written is right. And not only do you have faith in God, but you have faith in his word. And it causes you, and you trust in his promises. You know, godly leaders are given promises through the scripture. And then we walk in obedience. We walk in obedience. Why? Because we have obtained promises. This, this word obtained promises, it could be referring to the Abrahamic covenant that was given to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it also could be referring to the, the victories that was given to, to Gideon and, and Joshua and those guys as they went about. But anyway, but, but we, the promise, the ultimate promise, the big promise, is the promise of God's word that is the anchor of our faith. Then it says there in verse 33, it says, they shut the mouths of lions. Who do you think that might be? Any idea? Daniel. Daniel. That, that could be Daniel. Now I want to bring up on the screen Daniel chapter 6, verse 22 to 23 where it talks specifically about this phrase in Hebrews. But Daniel chapter 6, verse 22 and 23 says, uh, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also towards you, O king. I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever, was found in him because he trusted in his God. Why did God shut the mouths of the lions? It's there in the last phrase, the last line. 
because he trusted in his God. He had faith. He trusted in the Lord. He trusted in God. He trusted in his, his promises. He trusted in his sovereignty. And God came through because his faith was in the Lord God Almighty. Where was Daniel at when all this took place? Man, he was in the heart of Babylon. He was in the heart of false religion. He was in the heart of, of darkness. But in the midst of that dark land that he was in, he trusted in the Lord, okay? There's no, there's no part of this world that the Christian can't live out a life of faith today. Even in the darkest places, we can live out our life and we can trust in God. And here, he, uh, he shuts the mouths of the lions because Daniel trusted. Let's look at verse 34, continuing the theme of conquering faith. It says, they quench the power of fire. Who do y'all think that is? These three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love that story. I, I remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when I was a little eight-year-old going to my grandma's church at Calvary Assembly down in Augusta, Georgia, and, and hearing the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happened to them? It's, it's, the text says that the king had the heat turned up. He had it turned way up. He wanted to have smoked Jew. He wanted to have fried Jew. And so they're, they're, what happens? They're thrown into a fiery furnace. But not only are they not burned, but what takes place? It says there was another companion in the fire. And we believe that was a, a, a theopony. That was a, a, a manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament coming down to be with them in the fiery furnace and to deliver them from the fiery furnace. But the thing that grabs my heart the most about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is what was their, um, what was their message to the king? What was their message to the king? It's found in Daniel chapter 3, verse 18. Their, their message to the king was, whether we live or we die, we will not bow. We will not bow to your ungodly principles, to your ungodly rules. This brings me to my fourth point on conquering faith. Number one, conquering faith is a real battle. Conquering faith does what is right. A con a, a, the cornerstone of a conquering faith, trust in the promises of God. And the next one is a conquering faith says this, I will not bow. Why? Because you and I only bow to one. One and one alone. You don't bow to David. You don't bow to mayors, to, to governors, to presidents, to governments. We only bow to one. Our ultimate allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I bow to him and him alone. You and I, we, we bow and obey his word. We, we bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ we bow to the authority of his word. And when the world around us contradicts the word of God, what do we say? Two words for you. No thanks. No thanks. I'm going to follow what God says. I'm going to follow his word. That's a conquering faith. Do you have a conquering faith this morning? Man, I hope you do. And I hope this morning 
through the study of God's word and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst, that he is building your faith, that he's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, yes, let's do this. Let's have a conquering faith in the Lord God Almighty. Continuing on in verse 34. It says, they escaped the edge of the sword. Who could that be? Possibly David. Who did he, who did he escape the edge of the sword from? Saul. Man, Saul was hot on his tail. I'm going to slice you up, dude. But you never could catch up to David. Or how about Goliath? Goliath says, man, I'm going to rip you to pieces, you young shepherd boy. But King David escaped the edge of the sword. It says, from weaknesses, from weakness were made strong became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Who could that be? The first one is in 1 Kings chapter 17, where the, the widow's son was, was raised from the dead by Elijah. The second one, 2 Kings chapter 4, where the Shunammite woman's child was raised by Elisha. So supernatural things that took place. My friend, I present to you this morning, this is a conquering faith. This is, a, not, not the, this is an example, but this whole entire section here is a conquering faith. A conquering faith means you understand there's a real battle, that you're committed to doing what's right, that the cornerstone of conquering faith is the word of God, and a conquering faith says, I will not bow but to one, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have a conquering faith? Or is there areas of your life you need to work on? If there's areas in your life that you need to work on, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, we're all a work in progress. And maybe the Lord is reminding some of you this morning through our study that, hey, you need to, you need to shape up in that area. You need to sharpen up in the area. You need to stand your ground when it comes to talking about this subject and have a conquering faith. God wants you today in 2020, to have a conquering faith. He wants me to have a conquering faith. He wants you to have a conquering faith. He wants your children to have a conquering faith. Let's have a conquering faith. Let's just fo follow the book. Let's just follow the book and, and, and let the book, the word of God, and the Holy Spirit do his work. And let's have a conquering faith. So that's what a conquering faith is. A conquering faith is a faith that overcomes and a faith where we experience victory. But sometimes, sometimes God does not give the victory. Rather, he chooses to refine us through the struggle, through the battle, and through the difficulty. So we're shifting now, as, as, we, as you're going to see in the words as we continue, we're shifting, shifting from a conquering faith to, to an enduring faith. And that's, that's what we're looking at, is we're, we're called not only to have a conquering faith, but now we're going to see an enduring faith. An enduring faith picks up there halfway through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, where it says, and others were tortured. Very interesting that the translators use this word tortured in, in verse 35. Because the word means so much more than just that English word that we have in our text called tortured. The, 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 the Greek word there, if you look it up in your concordance, is uh, a tempanzio. 
And it, and it literally means to torture with a tapenium. In verse 35, when he says, and others were tor- tortured, he is ta- the author is talking about a specific tool that was used to persecute the early believers, possibly during this intertestamental period. But uh, a tapanium, uh, verse, 30, verse 35 is referring to, is an oval-shaped contraption where a victim would be strapped onto and they would be stretched. They'd be rotated. They would be stretched by the legs and the arms to the point of dislocation. And in many cases, according to uh, early church father writings, that this uh, torture device would break limbs. It would break limbs. It would dislocate arms and legs. It was a very harsh torture. Very harsh torture. That, That believers experienced all because they believed the word of God. That's a heavy price to pay. That's a very challenging price to pay. But it's the price that we're called to pay if we're going to believe in the Lord, we're going to believe his word, and we're going to live a faithful life. Again, our faithfulness is not to this world. Our faithfulness is to the Lord and to his word. And continuing on verse 35, I think we're about halfway through it. It says, it says others were tortured, the tapanium. And then it says, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. The, the New Living Translation of Hebrews 11.35 uh, makes this verse a whole lot easier to understand. And the NLT translation of the last half of Hebrews 11.35 says this, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. They were given the opportunity. They were given the opportunity to avoid persecution, to avoid pain, to avoid suffering, but they would have to deny their faith. They would have to deny their faith and they would compromise. But in their torment and in their pain, they said those two words, no thanks. No thank you. I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna live for what I believe in the midst of a world of unbelief. Why? Because their eyes were on the Lord. Their eyes were on God. Their eyes were on eternity, the same place where our eyes, our spiritual eyes, our life should be set on. It's not on the things of this world, but ultimately on our eternal home and on the things of eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love life. I'm not, I don't live a monk-like life. I enjoy life. And I, I love my, the time I have with my, my son and my daughter and my wife. And I love hunting. And I love fishing, as many of you know. And I love living life. But at the foundation of who I am, I always keep eternity in perspective. Knowing that, man, if I'm blessed and I'm fortunate, you know, my hope, my goal is to live to be 90 live a long life, but even if I make it to 90, that is just a smithereen of eternity. So we have to keep our eyes on what's most important because when we leave this life, we will be gone for a very long time. And it's very important as Christians, as the Word of God tells us, 
that we live a life with an eternal perspective. Does it mean you don't have family? You know, we're called to have families and enjoy life and have children and men and women. We're called to work hard and do our very best in life. But don't forget the big picture. Life will come to an end one day for each and every one of us. And that is what we need to be prepared for more than anything in this life and having an eternal perspective. But, the, but, but it says they were... It says they were not accepting their release so they may obtain a better resurrection. In their pain and in their suffering, their eyes were on eternity. Their eyes were on the Lord. Let's continue, verse 36. Verse 36 says, And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. Verse 37, They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Church history tells us that Jeremiah was stoned to death. Jeremiah was stoned to death. History tells us there was a leader by the name of Manasseh who loved to worship idols. He tried to convince this prophet by the name of Isaiah to partake of his idol worship. Not only did the prophet Isaiah refuse, but he condemned Manasseh's actions in his rejection of wanting to participate. And what happened? Uh, Church history tells us Isaiah was cut in two with a wooden saw. How torturous and how painful that could have been. But that's what happened to him because he stood the ground. And we believe most likely that's who verse 37 is, is talking about when it says they were stoned and, and they were sown in two. He's talking about Jeremiah and he's talking about Isaiah. It says they were tempted. It says they were tempted. You know, uh, we're not beyond temptation. We, we are not even... The spirit-led Christian life serving the Lord. We are not beyond temptation. That's why we have to live daily being yielded to the spirit. Walking with the Lord. Making our faith afresh and anew each and every day. Because, because you and I can be tempted also. It says they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. This is called living your best life now. This is what they were doing. They were living their best life now. And what is their best life now? Was to find that is they were living for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. That's what it was. The, the, their, their real life, their, their foundation of who they were and the person that they were was not caught up in the things of this world, but it was caught up in living in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, to loving him with all their heart, to, to live for him. You know, when you understand the cross, when you understand what Jesus did for you at the cross so that you could be forgiven and made white as snow, man, it just melts your heart. It just melts your heart and says, Lord Jesus, I just want to live for you. I just want to serve you. You have served me so greatly at the cross. That's what Calvary is. Calvary is like a golden platter that he presents before you. It says, come, partake of this golden platter where I will forgive you of all your sins. I will wash you. I will make you new. I will put my Holy Spirit in you. I will give you a new life, a new direction. You'll, you'll be heading to heaven when you step into eternity. It's, it's, like a, it's like a golden platter. 
And it is ultimately the truest definition of living your best life now. You know, that, that is not even theologically correct. You know, the Bible says the best is yet to come in eternity. Matter of fact, this, this, in this life, this is actually the worst it will get. It only gets better, believer, as we move forward. And one day, one day, no more faith will be needed. You'll see him face to face in the new Jerusalem, the third heaven, the holy city that Jesus talked about in John chapter 14. Streets of gold, brand new body, cancer free, all the back pains I have and all those doctors I have to go to to get my lower back working on, no more. And I can't wait. And that's, those are going to be great benefits, but those aren't going to be the ultimate benefit. The ultimate benefit will be to be in the presence of God, to be in the presence of God. Verse 38, verse 38, talking about enduring faith. Remember, keep that in mind. Verses uh, halfway through verse 35 through, I believe it's um, 39, where the theme is enduring faith. But uh, verse 38 says, Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. You know, they weren't traveling around in Mercedes Benz and flying around the world in jets. You know, they were, uh, they were, they were living a very difficult and a very challenging life. But what, what grabs me at verse 38 is this phrase. It says, men of whom the world was not worthy. What's up with that, Pastor David? What is, give me some, help me understand this phrase, men of whom the world was not worthy. Here it is. The world is not friendly to Christians with an enduring faith. I'll repeat that. The world is not friendly to believers who have an enduring faith because, because an enduring faith does not approve of their sin. An enduring faith says, I'm going to stay the course with the, what the word of God says, and I'm not going to um, approve of the sin that's taking place in the world. My friend, if you are truly um, committed to the word of God and you're truly committed to everything the scripture says, you will be rejected. You will be rejected for holding to your Christian values because the Christian values and the world values are not the same. They clash. They clash everything from same-sex marriage to abortion to all the things that our world are facing today, they clash. The scripture is very clear. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And we hold to that because the word of God says it. And, and, but, 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 you, but you start making a stand for biblical values, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get a little bit of heat. You know? But we, we say it in a spirit of love. We, we say it in a spirit of love and truth, not a haughty spirit. But we just say, hey, guys, hey, friend, neighbor, this is what the Bible teaches. This is why we hold to this, because Jesus said it, because God said it. And we do it in a spirit of love, in a spirit of truth, in a spirit of grace, not in a judgmental fashion, but we say we hold to it because it's biblical, and it's, what, it's the way God has set us up. But, but again, the world is not friendly to Christians who have an enduring faith. When he uses that phrase in verse 38, men of whom the world was not worthy, the world, the world is going to look at them and say, no, thank you. Verse 39, verse 39 says, 
And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. In their enduring faith, they were looking forward. They were looking forward. These believers that Hebrews chapter 11 is talking about in verses 38 and 39, their faith was real. Their faith was real, it was authentic, and it was uncompromising. You know, in a spirit of love, in a spirit of grace, in a spirit of truth, but uncompromising. It stood the test of time. They stayed the ground. Question for you this morning. Is there anything, question for you to ponder, is there anything that could happen in this life that would cause you to abandon and walk away from the faith? Think about that for a minute. Is there anything that could happen in this life that would cause you to abandon or walk away from the faith? Now, I understand your faith can be shaken. That happens. Your faith can be rattled. It happens. Your faith can be rocked. That happens. You may even go through a season of doubt and questions because something traumatic happens. Trust me, I have been there. My faith has been rocked. My faith has been rattled. My faith has been shaken. Pastor David has gone through seasons of doubt and, and, and some slight unbelief because of something that happened in my life. But the idea of you and I abandoning our faith and walking away from the faith is not an option. It's not an option. That's, that's enduring faith. That's enduring faith that, Lord, whatever comes, whatever happens, whatever happens in my life, um, I'm going to stay the course. And now, I mean, I, I, could, I could sit here and rattle off 50 things that could, that could happen to us negative, negatively. And, but at the end of the day, the anchor holds in my faith, and I'm going to stay the course no matter what happens. This is an enduring faith. So we talked about a, a conquering faith, a victorious faith, an overcoming faith, which it is, but now we see in the text an enduring faith, an enduring faith. Do you this morning have an enduring faith? Are you prepared to endure persecution for what you believe? Will you refuse to compromise? Will you say, no, no. The word says this, I'm going to stand on the word. And will you and I be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, I will not bow. That's an enduring faith. So that's, that's the two elements, that's the two aspects I present to you this morning. A conquering faith, which our faith is. We walk in victory, we, we conquer, we overcome and we walk in victory. I love that old hymn, Victory in Jesus, because we do have victory in Jesus. But there will be times, because you live in a fallen world, just like everybody else, just like me and all of us, there will be times where you have to endure and understand that those may come so that it doesn't uh, sidetrack you, so that it doesn't shift you to the left or to the right. But you say, okay. This is happening in my life, and this is where I've, I've got to do what Pastor David talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says I've got to endure, and I've got to stay the course. And, and, and I've, I've got to stay the course and stay faithful 
and stay committed even when things aren't going the way they're supposed to. That's a conquering faith. That's an enduring faith. And that's what I'm praying for you guys this morning, that we have a conquering and enduring faith. Let's look at the final verse, and I'll wrap this up. Verse 40 says, Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. What is the something that was better for them? It was seeing their Savior and seeing their God face to face. They were looking forward to heaven. And let me tell you something. It says, because God had provided something better for us. What has God provided better for us than what we're experiencing now is the glory of heaven, the glory of of being in his presence, the glory of having eternal life. And uh, you and I, we look forward to that day where we no longer live by faith, but we see the Lord Jesus Christ. We see him in all his glory. This is a conquering faith. This is an enduring faith. And um, it's likely possible in the months and years to come that laws will be passed that will go against God's word. And uh, it will be loved. It will be loved and it will be accepted by the culture. But the big question is, where will you stand? Where will you stand when God's word is violated, when, when it's, it's gone against? Do you see where I'm going with this? With the enduring faith, the conquering faith? That is what God calls the He called the Christians in the first century. He calls the, the Christians now in the 20th century to have a conquering, enduring faith. I hope this morning, through the teaching of the word, that I, I have, I have um, given you a meal, and I've given your heart something to grow on, something to feed on, something to ponder on. But now I want to address your mind. I want to address your mind with a question and give you a couple, just a couple random responses of uh, things that you can do as you move forward in your Christian walk. And the question is this for your minds. How can I have a conquering and enduring faith? Pastor David, without breaking out all the commentaries and, and breaking out the, well, you need to break out the word, but instead of having to study all this and, and look at this, I want to give you some bullet points on how you can walk out of here and say, you know what, I'm going to have a conquering and enduring faith. Well, number one, I have to say this. I think you already know this by now. But number one, you've got to be born again. Because you can't have a conquering and enduring faith in and of yourself. Okay? Being born again means you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You repent, turn from the old life, put your trust in Christ, and you're born again. And so that's, that's 99% of it, if not all of it, because then the, the, the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives you this conquering faith. He gives you this enduring faith. So you have to be born again. Number two, preach the gospel. To who? Yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. I've been serving the Lord 20-something years, and I will, Pastor David, he, he's got, he, he, he may be going a little crazy upstairs, but he talks to himself sometimes. Do you know that? I talk to myself sometimes. And what am, I, what am I saying to myself? I'm preaching the gospel to myself. I'm reminding myself of, of Jesus' great sacrifice 
and I'm reminding myself of this glorious good news that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. That yes, Jesus rose from the grave. But we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. There was a book we read. I think it was called The Gospel Primer. Is that right? There was a book we read called The Gospel Primer. I wish I remembered the author. Um, but anyway, <laughs> my wife was fine. But uh, there's a book called The Gospel Primer. And in that book I read, it talks about preaching the gospel to yourself. And we need to do that. Even as Christians, we need to regularly remind ourselves of this beautiful truth that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us, to give us a new life, to, to yield to the spirit, to not walk by the flesh. But we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Number three, um, how to have a conquering enduring faith. Take your relationship with God serious. Take it serious. I mean, these are just, these are just practical, down-to-earth um, principles for you. Take your relationship with the Lord serious. Man, make it, make it your top priority in your life. Make it your top priority. The Bible says, Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all things will be, will take, will be taken care of themselves. Seek him first. Let him be number one, and everything else will work its way out because you're seeking him first. But make him number one and take your relationship with him serious. Uh, another one, make up your mind. Make up your mind. We need, to, we need to think it through. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, this is, this is a, a thinking. Not only is this a believing faith in our heart, but this is a thinking faith. And we need to think long and hard about the things of the gospel, about the things of scripture. And we need to make up our mind to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live my life for you. Number, another one is live with an eternal perspective. There's another one. Live with an eternal perspective. Knowing one day, you know, I won't be here. I'll, I will have stepped into eternity. And that, 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 that stepping into eternity is going to last a lot longer than this life. So I keep that in mind. And finally, you, you asked, Pastor David, how can I have a conquering faith? Hold firm to the word of God. Hold firm to everything the Bible teaches. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It, it will never pass away. In other words, what Jesus is saying with us scientific-minded people like myself is the universe and all that is will crumble and crash and fall and Go to pieces before one word in the Bible fails. That's how strong this word is. That's how firm it is. That's why it can hold you. It can sustain you. So hold firmly. And when you hold firmly to the word of God, you will have a conquering and enduring faith. Amen? Amen. Father God in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for this study of having a conquering and enduring faith. And Lord, I pray, Father, for all the believers that are here this morning, that uh, you will help them grow in this area of having a conquering and enduring faith, Lord. Father, build their faith, strengthen their faith, and give us a faith that overcomes, a faith that subdues in the, in the times, and we celebrate those victories, and we rejoice in those victories. But, Father, when, we, when times are difficult and things aren't going the way we want them to, give us a faith 
to endure. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.